from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. People in Bridgeton have been given instructions how to shelter in place. And the water can't be cleaned up because the soil is contaminated. The contamination from the soil in both of those sites leaches into the groundwater. There's an urgency here. Is it the way the Environmental Protection Act is written that allows corporations to do this? There is a legacy of, of, I would call, agency inertia. We played in the creek all the time. When we talk about a site being cleaned up, it doesn't always mean that material is going to be completely removed from the site. If you find out you're living on a toxic waste site, you have to advocate for yourself as a community. It does take pressure from the affected community. First, is this just a way of doing it more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more cheaply? I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency announced some big news. The infrastructure bill recently passed by Congress included a $1 billion investment aimed at addressing the backlog of Superfund site cleanups. Two of 49 sites that the EPA identified for accelerated funding are in Missouri. One involves removing volatile organic chemicals from the soil and groundwater in the St. Louis suburb of Valley Park. The second involves a site in Vienna, a town in the Ozark foothills. State Representative Doug Clemens told our producer Evie Hemphill that he grew up with radioactive Coldwater Creek flowing behind his family's home. The North St. Louis County Democrat says many constituents' health has been seriously impacted by contamination, and he is thrilled by the EPA's plans. My uh, initial reaction to the the bill being passed and, and seeing what we were setting aside for Brownfield and Superfund cleanup was just Hooray! I was really happy about that. But Representative Clemens said the EPA's plans in Missouri still fall short of what is needed in our region. He referenced the trichloroethylene, or TCE, in a neighborhood near his own. We have a TCE site not too far from where I live in the neighboring district off of Page Boulevard, which they have been remediating for decades. We are sitting with areas in North St. Louis that have not begun remediation. And this possibly speaks to some of the things that we look at when it turn, they do the balance sheet. They, they actually are much like an insurance company when they do a cost-benefit analysis. And it's interesting how areas that are predominantly African-American seem to be left out of the equation, that somehow life is not valued as high as it is in the suburbs. Um, that, that's something that we really need to look into. And this extra influx of funding is a good place to start with actually making sure that things are equitable. And that is Missouri Representative Doug Clemens. And joining us now to talk more about this federal funding and Superfund sites throughout the region is Bruce Morrison. He is the president of Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. Bruce, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined today by Steve Taylor. He's a longtime environmental activist who founded the Times Beach Action Group decades ago. And today he's the press secretary for the Global Justice Ecology Project. Steve, welcome. Thank you. So, Bruce, $1 billion seems like a lot of money, but I imagine it will also go pretty fast. Just how many of these projects is the U.S. sitting on at this point? 
it's good to get some of the money, but it, that's right. It doesn't go terribly far. So the Uni- United States is sitting on more than 1,300 projects. Uh, 33 of them are in Missouri. Uh, Illinois has got 45, and the 33 in Missouri, that's just actually one list. You know, Missouri has its own list of abandoned or uncontrolled sites with another 56 projects on there. And um, there are projects that aren't even making it to the list where where a responsible party, at least in theory, has agreed to clean something up and still many more sites that we don't even know about. Wow. So, Steve, this feels like this this new infusion of funding, well, a billion dollars. Again, it's a lot of money. This is barely scratching the surface here. Well, um, some people ask, what does this mean for Missouri? And and to be honest, I'm going to say not much. It's great to have it. And if you live next to these sites, this could be life-changing. But if you look at the magnitude and scope of the amount of contamination in Missouri, this really isn't much. I mean, we have a radiation fire at, at, at Waste Lake Landfill that is just, is, the, the, the cleanup is just dragging on and on. And it wouldn't be happening in the first place if it wasn't for citizen agitation and citizen advocacy. So um, it's great to have it, uh, but uh, there is a legacy of, of, I would call, agency inertia. Uh, and uh, Citizens have to advocate for themselves. And I also think the point about environmental justice is, is, is very right on. Uh, Global Justice Ecology Project has been contacted about uh, a, a brownfield site in, in the Wellston Loop, the former Wagner Electric site, that was cleaned, cleaned up to lesser standards. And it was in a minority community. And when those uh, failed industrial centers where, you know, after the war, minority communities were sort of pushed into, uh, we've been contacted by people who, who are concerned that they were working at the Met Center uh, after a flood and that maybe it was recontaminated. I, I think there's a lot of issues uh, that uh, have not been addressed in the past and are slow to be addressed. I mean, there's a radiation fire at Westlake. There's 75,000 people within a four-mile radius. Uh, particulate radiation is being found on uh, monitors now. So it's great to have, uh, you know, if there's, if there's people in the ocean, if there's 100 people in the ocean and you pick out two, those two are very grateful. But what about the other 98? So we'll talk about those other 98 um, in just a bit. That is a focus of what we want to talk about today. But those two, those, those people who could see their life change because of contamination getting cleaned up in their neighborhoods. I want to get a little sense of, of just who we're talking about here. So, Bruce, could you tell us a little bit about this Valley Park Superfund? site that has been chosen now for this accelerated EPA funding. Yeah, so so Valley Park, and, and why Valley Park? It's not uh, the oldest site on the list by any means. It's not the most hazardous. It, it shares a common feature with the Vienna Wells site in that if the soil at Valley Park and the soil at Vienna Wells are remediated, then that's going to stop the the groundwater contamination issue, uh, which which probably is the groundwater that really is the driver for these cleanups. Um, in Vienna Wells, people can't drink the water without the water getting cleaned up, and the water can't be cleaned up because the soil is contaminated. The contamination from the soil in both of those sites leaches into the groundwater, so EPA is going to get at the soil issues. So this is kind of a, a situation where it's still ongoing. They haven't even stopped the initial spread. That's right. Although um, EPA thought that it had stopped the initial spread with regard to one of these sites and is coming back in, seeing that 
our initial remedy just didn't work. We have to go back. Okay. And part of the appeal here, you said these are not the oldest. We know very well these are not the biggest. Our area has some huge Superfund sites. Is that maybe part of the appeal for the EPA, that these are discrete areas where they can get in, they can get these done? I think that's exactly right. So with regard to these two sites, EPA can get in, not spend a whole lot of money, For Valley Park, EPA thinks it can get in and out for $4.5 million. Uh, For the Vienna Wells site, a little bit under $20 million. And EPA believes that if it addresses the soil contamination issue, then it will be able to close out these sites and cross them off the list and not have to do, at least for one of them, do no operation and maintenance and and limited operation and maintenance for the other. So as somebody who makes lists sometimes, I got to say, it feels really good to cross something off the list. Does it seem like a fair assessment if the EPA wants to throw a little bit of money at at a project and get this done? That's maybe not a bad thing. I I think that's right. Uh, I I think that's why EPA is probably selecting these two sites in Missouri. And they said they're going to jump into these uh, this year in 2022. Based on what they're saying about their timeline of wrapping up, it sounds like within just about 12 months or or another couple years from that, do you think what they're hoping to do on these two sites seems realistic? One of the sites, for one of the sites, yes. It it does look like EPA will be over and done within um, two and a half years. Um, And sorry, which site would that be that uh, that they'll be done? And and, um, looking at my notes here, it looks like that one is for for the Valley Park site compared to the Vienna Wells site where EPA is still looking at a pilot study for some of that, uh, for an aspect of that site and that one's likely to go on quite a bit longer. Okay. So they're crossing these off their list. Steve, you, you've you taken a little bit of a critical tone towards some of these plans here. How do you feel about the fact that these two, um, they're the ones that got chosen? Well, I, I think for those who live next to it, it's, it's, it's a great choice. I, I think we have to look, I, I, it begs the question, you know, I over the years I have taught, and I used to teach math, and sometimes uh, students would come to me at the end of the semester and say, and, and they haven't done any homework, haven't turned in, you know, any of the assignments and failed their exams, and, and they say, I need to pass this class. What can I do? Is there extra credit? So to my mind, what about all the credit on the table? We have some really urgent issues I mentioned Westlake. I talked to Don Chapman uh, last night, and there's concern. There's a there's a fire. I mean, I think the EPA would call it now a sub sub uh, subterranean thermal event, and they have all these euphemisms for it. But we have a fire 500 feet from 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 radiation, and and monitors are picking up particulate radiation. Uh, people in Bridgeton have been given instructions how to shelter in place. There's an urgency here. Don Chapman told me that the estimated cost of that cleanup is around $200 million. Mm-hmm. And Don is, is one of the citizen activists who's pushed this. Correct. Uh, she was featured in Atomic Home Front, an HBO special. Her and uh, Miss Nichols uh, started uh, uh, Just Moms, and they really uh, advocated and, and brought attention to the issue. And in 2018, uh, the EPA finally came up with a plan. There was an agreement on how to address it, but that was 2018. In 2023 will be the 50th anniversary of that radioactive material from the Manhattan Project being placed in that landfill. Before Dawn Chapman and, and Nichols, uh, there was K-Dry, there was the Missouri Coalition for the Environment warning about it. Uh, why the inertia? 
And, and I think we look at the agency, we look at the third administrator, Anne Gorsuch, and her underling, Rita Lavelle. There was the famous Sewergate case. Right out of the bat, I mean, the EPA was found, founded uh, on, during the Nixon administration. But during the Reagan admission, administration, there's a huge case about how Superfund itself was being used for political purposes. There was contempt of Congress charges. There's actually a felony conviction related to that. And I think, you know, we need an EPA. We need to address this, these uh, polluted sites, and we need to work for public health. But it is an environmental, uh, it is living in a political realm. And they have to balance corporate liability and corporate interests with citizens' interests. And I think we see in St. Louis that sometimes it's more about liability, how much there is, uh, who has it, how it may grow. Right now, according to Don Chapman, there's $1.5 billion in escrow uh, with, with Republic money and I think Cotter Industries and the Department of Energy, but no action is being taken at this radiation fire because there is litigation still going on as to who is actually going to be responsible. We need to put citizens' health over these questions of liability. I know there's legal issues, Bruce talked to it, but this, there's 75,000 people living within a four mile radius of what could become a mini Chernobyl. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to today's conversation. We're talking to Bruce Morrison, the president of Great Rivers Environmental Law Center, as well as Steve Taylor. He's a longtime environmental activist. He founded the Times Beach Action Group decades ago, and today he's the press secretary for the Global Justice Ecology Project. We've been talking about a couple of Superfund sites locally that have been cleared for accelerated EPA funding. Uh, there's also something going on, and this comes out of a federal settlement. Uh, Bruce, the EPA recently announced that contamination at a site in East St. Louis uh, that is a former Alcoa aluminum plant will be cleaned up. What do we know about the situation there? Well, that's an interesting one because when we talk about a site being cleaned up, it doesn't always mean that material is going to be completely removed from the site. And one good illustration is the Alcoa site in East St. Louis where the selected remedy includes leaving process waste materials in place, covering them with two feet of clean soil, and then securing the site with fencing to prevent access. Is that a good solution right there? Well, you really have to wonder, would the waste remain in place if the community were in a position of power to demand otherwise? Mm. What if the land were commercially valuable? 
would that would that material stay there? Probably not. If this property were in West St. Louis County, would that material stay there? Undoubtedly not. So, Steve, the EPA issued its press release last month, and in it they emphasized a commitment to, quote, advancing environmental justice and incorporating equity considerations into all aspects of the Superfund cleanup process. They're talking about this in a way that maybe they weren't talking about decades ago. Are they actually doing a better job on this front? Hearing about what's happening in East St. Louis from Bruce makes me wonder. Well, I mean, it's always good to hear words. We'll, we'll see how it, it follows through with actual action. I mean, we've heard a lot of things from the EPA uh, pertaining to certain sites, uh, and, and things haven't always gone as, as advertised. But I'm not going to prejudge that uh, because you know, there needs to be more commitment commitment to minority communities. Uh, Professor Hurley of University of Missouri-St. Louis wrote a story uh, in a journal article uh, about the old Wagner site, and it's just what Bruce is talking about, what's going to happen in East St. Louis. It was a minority community. He, 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 he talked about how the community, because it was minority, really was not involved in the discussion how it was going to be cleaned up. These partial cleanups are dangerous because events can happen afterwards. In 2008, there was a flood at this former Wagner site, and and possibly contaminated material went into the building. And as I said, there's people now concerned about their health as a result of that. Why are you know these partial cleanups? What they do is they do not remediate to residential standards. They remediate just for industrial standards. They're basically saying that we're going to allow people to be there, but there can't be food, there can't be daycare, but often there's residents nearby. And often people move into the community and they don't know that that's the case. Bruce, is this just a way of doing it more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more cheaply? I'm afraid it is. Well, there's only so much money to go around, and that's uh, one way to spend less money. Um, that, that's, th that's the starting point for these cleanups. How much time is somebody going to spend on the site? And to Steve's point, if a site is cleaned up to a residential standard, the assumption is that somebody is going to be living there or at that property almost all of the time, not so with regard to a site that is uh, going to be used commercially or has an industrial use. And yes, and the dollars are going to be less. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Jerry is calling from O'Fallon, Missouri. Uh, Jerry, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Good afternoon. Uh, just a couple things I want to point out. I grew up uh, off of uh, Maylene Creek, which has the same source as Coldwater, Lambert Field, which, uh, as you'll probably know, there's a lot of radioactive material left over from the uh, original atom bomb project that was buried there. Mm -hmm. um, and we had, I mean, four people on my, I'm in my mid-60s on my street, uh, died of cancer, and myself and another person, uh, in the, you know, that we played in the creek all the time. and. Didn't, we didn't know what was in there. But anyway, the, the major part, though, is I think needs to be pointed out is we still kind of, I, I understand that these need to be cleaned up and that it was just necessary, but it seems like we have not uh, done anything to, pro, you know, protect us in the future in that companies still know that they can come in, uh, you know, uh, pollute, uh, take their profits, move away, and we're left, meaning the taxpayers, to pay for the cleanup, and uh, they, they really have no incentive to do otherwise at this time. And I 
Jerry, thank you for that. Um, I find myself wondering, Bruce, is Jerry correct? I mean, so many of these sites that I hear people talking about are things that are historic. It's, you know, this radioactive stuff just dumped in a creek and kids were playing in it. It, it feels like that doesn't happen today. Do companies still feel like they can pollute with impunity today? Well, yeah, I, I wish I wish I could say that um, it were otherwise. But you know, while a lot of this is historic, I think unfortunately, as a society, we are just taking this that uh, to be that this is just a consequence of the world that we live in, of our commercial or of our, our industrial world, and we don't account for all of the costs associated with. Uh, what we make, uh, how we live. Uh, so, uh, Jer- Jerry's right. It is. It is ongoing. Not. Not with. Uh, not to the extent that it has been in past years, but it is ongoing, and we're seeing that. What with regard to climate climate issues today, that companies are are getting away with doing things that maybe future generations uh, will be heavily affected by. Absolutely. Steve, his story of, of playing in the creek is, is a story that I hear from a lot of people who grew up in North County and now are suffering um, some very serious effects by it. It sounds like Jerry is okay, but has lost a, a number of friends. It, it, that, that's, that really resonates with me. I started the Time Speech Action Group decades ago because I, I grew up around dioxin sites and I saw a lack of transparency and I felt that people were left to live in that for decade a decade or so before they took action. One of the things that you often hear about are, are from people who, who grew up in situations like that is they say, I don't know if there's a cause and effect, but my brother died of cancer. I have cancer. And it's all this anecdotal evidence. Why is it anecdotal? Because rarely are there any studies. I was talking to Marilyn Leisner, the uh, last mayor of Times Beach, two days ago. I mean, I called her because I was going to be on this program and I wanted to verify this. There has been no follow-up study on the health of Times Beach residents. Mm. And this was one of the most prominent. It was the Love Canal of the Midwest. It was Agent Orange. It was what was sprayed in Vietnam. Vietnam veteran groups have been contacting us because they're wondering why they didn't study those health effects. And that kind of fits into how the CDC or ATSDR back in the day really didn't study the effects on veterans. So, I mean, there was a study, I think, with Coldwater Creek, uh, but these are very rare. Very rarely are there any studies, and you have to ask why. It's because then corporations can say it's not dangerous. There's no there's no connection to cancer. If you don't look, you don't find. Bruce, is this a don't ask, don't tell? It, it is, yes. Yes, we, we really don't look, and it, it does take pressure from the affected community to get these studies to happen. Uh, that's what happened in Coldwater Creek, and it took so long to make it happen. But, yes, the community, the affected community, does need to engage to make change. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. David is calling from Richmond Heights. Um, David, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Um, yes, I, I think Jerry asked something very close to what I was uh, wondering about, about the corporate responsibility for destroying the environment to begin with and then trying to get extract money out of them, $200 million for Westlake Landfill. I, I mean, how they're going to drag their feet and, and uh, make it delay through the courts so that people will never see in their lifetimes a change. How can we prevent this to begin with? Is it the way the Environmental Protection Act is written that allows corporations to do this, uh, you know, unless they're proven uh, to be causing a problem? And can we do anything locally or regionally to to uh, 
to change the rules. David, thank you so much for that. Um, I, I do find myself wondering, is it that we need tougher laws on the books or is it that we need to actually enforce um, the laws that are already there? And, any thoughts on that, Bruce? It is a bit of both. Although um, laws are, the regulations are weak at this time. We've just went through a period at the federal level where we uh, we deregulated. And in the state of Missouri, that that is the focus uh, primarily at the state level. We we do not regulate and we suffer the consequences. Steve, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think there needs to be change uh, in, in, in the culture at the EPA. I think Region 7 has a, you know, given the legacy in Missouri, I, I think it's a, there's a lot of inertia. Uh, but I agree with, with Bruce. There's been deregulation, a focus of deregulation. We're going in the wrong direction. So we need to keep the laws tough, but we really need enforcement. And really the key to that, if you look at Time Speech, it took Judy Pyatt. If you look at Westlake, what we've gotten so far, it's, it takes citizen action. You know, citizens have to represent themselves. If you find out you're living on a toxic waste site, it's not going to help to call an agency. You're going to need to form a citizens group. You need to call Great Rivers, uh, someone like Bruce, to help you uh, legally, and then call an agency. You have to advocate for yourself as a community. David, I want to thank you for that question. I think that's a good one. And, and Steve, it sounds like you're saying in this case, if people uh, suspect that there's something going on in their neighborhoods, this is something where they have to be prepared to be the squeaky wheel. They can't just wait for this process to play Absolutely out. Absolutely true. I used to think growing up, I was a little naive, you know, the EPA is going to take care of us, that there's this big brother. Uh, there isn't. I was so shocked uh, when I saw the community meetings at the dioxin site I was living at. It was so hard to get answers. Uh, I found out that I was living in contamination because people in moon suits showed up knocking on the door saying, we need to, we need to look inside your house and take tests for contamination. I asked them, what are you looking for? And they said, well, we can't tell you that. Boy, I guess, yeah, there is not that big brother looking out for you. Um, Bruce, for people who are just getting started in trying to advocate for their neighborhood, one of the tips that Steve suggested is they should call Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. What what would you recommend for people who want to make sure that they have the kind of case that you can actually help them with or that they're building the kind of case that will go somewhere? That, that call to Great Rivers is a good first step because then we're going to be thinking about, well, what kind of advocacy plan can we help you develop? Uh, it, so you'll it, help them build we, their strategy, not just work on the, the legal side of things. We will. It, it, uh, so uh, the, the legal piece may be part of it, but there's so much more involved in uh, the community community advocating to protect their health. And yeah, we'll, we'll help them with that strategy. Okay, well, there's your first call. Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. Boy, it was interesting to hear about these sites. And it's funny how sometimes we come into a story going, finally, there's some good news. And yet when you look just a little bit under the surface, you start to realize the story is a lot more complicated. There's also a lot of bad news there. I want to um, thank both of my guests for helping us get our heads around all this. Bruce Morrison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. And Bruce is president of Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. Uh, Steve Taylor, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. And Steve is a longtime environmental activist. He's also press secretary for the Global Justice Ecology Project. This episode was produced by Evie Hempel with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.
understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.